Good morning. It's good to be back in church, even if it's different than usual. I believe it was Al mentioned last week, or week, yeah, last week, week before, that it was very hard to teach to an empty building. But we recognize that we're all here in the spirit, whether we're here in physical body or not. So I want to thank you for tuning in this morning also. I want to remind you to keep in prayer this whole pandemic. We're trusting God that it will come to an end and that life will come back to some closer semblance of normal than what we've been at till now. We're on the second advent this year already. And I have another message about Christmas and it's called, It's Christmas, Be Merry. But instead of spelling Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, I have spelt it M-A-R-Y. So Father, we just want to thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to gather in your presence, to gather with your spirit, that we are connected as one throughout the earth with the rest of the body of Christ. We want to thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is bringing a message of life and hope, a message of overcoming even during this time, and that your spirit is causing faith to rise up in the heart of your church, and that your people are pressing in and receiving the fullness that you have prepared for them this year, next year, throughout our lives. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Christmas. Be merry. I want to start reading from Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 and 42. It says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and she came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So Mary and her sister Martha had the honor of hosting Jesus at their house. They were getting ready to celebrate the fact that he had arrived, that he had arrived at their house. Now I see a parallel between Jesus arriving at Mary and Martha's place and his arrival on this earth. You know, it's been 2,000 years since he showed up in the flesh, and yet annually we still celebrate his arrival with our Christmas festivities. Now being a good hostess, Mary, or Martha immediately began to busy herself with preparing a meal for him. Now, it doesn't mention it here, but I'm sure it didn't stop with just making food. I have been through several Christmas gatherings and Christmas getting-togethers, and I know that it's not just the food that has to be made when the guests are showing up. There's all of the other stuff. Now, there was no phone call saying that he was going to be planning on being at their house at that time. So there will have been some quick last-minute things that had to do when Jesus showed up. Some dusting straightening out the throw covers on the couch, maybe sweeping the floor and quickly washing the best dishes so we could set them out. See, special company had stopped by, and there will have been work to do, quickly. But again, we can draw a parallel with all the preparations that we have as we start preparing for the Christmas season. We get the special food ready, deep cleaning everything, maybe even painting a room quickly before the guests are going to show up. Like Martha, we want everything looking tip-top. Mary, however, picked a different path. For her, time with Jesus was more important than having a spotless house. So instead of busying herself with the prep work, she just sat at the feet of the Lord. And finally, Martha had had enough. 
She walks up to Jesus and she exclaims, Don't you care, Jesus? Look what she's doing. I need help. And Jesus replies, says, Martha, you are worried about everything. But Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. Without that one important thing, life can and usually will stress you out completely. See, Martha had no peace and she was in the presence of the Prince of Peace. So Mark 4 gives us the account of Jesus sleeping in a boat during a storm. And the disciples, some of them being like very experienced fishermen, thought that they were going to die. And yet Jesus was sleeping. The difference was their perspective. The disciples were living in a world where anything could happen, and usually did, while Jesus was living life connected with the kingdom of God where God was in control. So Jesus was living in a place of perfect rest. And it's important for us to recognize this kingdom as the one that we live in so that we can also maintain our peace and carry this, not carry the stress that the world ends up struggling with. <clears throat> It's sad that so much of the body of Christ is wrapped up with the very same stress that the unbelievers face. It is sad when we forfeit the peace that Jesus has left us for the turmoil all around us. Because the turmoil is one way that the enemy will try to get us to forget some of the important truths from the scripture. It is the turmoil that gets us so busy that we end up losing what's really important to us. So when we get born again, God becomes our father. Now, even though we may instantly recognize this, we will usually have to grow in the Word for a while before we grasp what it actually means to us. It's as if we, it's as we begin to understand that God is my Father and realize that we are His child, that our identity begins to change. See, because God is my Father, I became a different being. The Bible does not teach that Jesus just tried to renovate who I was or was hoping to try and make me better. The Bible says he made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul is very adamant about the fact that in Christ we are new creatures. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So we have to recognize that we have become new. We have left the kingdom of darkness and we have entered the kingdom of light. We are no longer the children of Satan. We are now children of the Almighty Father. We have become different beings. So our identity changes. Because God is my father, I become a different being now. Now, many Christians have some pretty weird ideas about the father. Instead of accepting and adopting their new identity, they continue to struggle. They continue to carry the identity that they formed before they became a Christian. See, we all come to Christ that we have already formed an identity. We just have not yet realized that that is not who we really are. Often our identity is informed by the belief that we have on concerning our parents and whether they cared for us or not. See, a lot of children grow up feeling that they have to perform in a certain way to make their parents happy. If they fail at accomplishing what they feel they need to do, then they sense the loss of their parents' love. Once they accept Christ, they can carry those very same concepts into their Christian life and they start struggling to perform, hoping to get accepted. The term born again means to be refathered, to be birthed again. In John 3, 1 and 3, Nicodemus said to Jesus, No one can do what you do unless he is from God. And Jesus turned it around and he said, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. 
See, Nicodemus focused on the works that Jesus was doing, while Jesus focused on the identity that he had on being. When I got born again, or when I get born again, I need to learn to be, I need to learn to be first. See, once I realize who I am, I will begin to do. My doing becomes a byproduct of my being. My being is not a result of my doing, and yet so many times we see people struggling to do the right things, hoping that that will make them be who they believe they need to be. In other words, I will begin to to act out my new nature. I don't do so that I can be a child of God. I am a child of God, so I do. There is nothing I can accomplish that will cause me or qualify me to become God's son. In fact, if I try to be something by my own works, I'm right back living under the law once again. I disown myself from the family of God. I am trying to get life from God through my works when I need to have faith in his completed work. Now, I would suggest that Mary was secure in knowing that Jesus loved her. Martha may well have thought that what she accomplished, or if she accomplished enough, that Jesus would be pleased with her and maybe even commend her and say, well done, Martha. But our goal should be to live in that place of peace instead of doing. That's the only place where we will ever experience the place of rest that Jesus paid for. If we don't find that place of peace, we will be worried. We will constantly feel stressed out. We'll find ourselves constantly tired and we'll feel the need to remind others about how busy and how tired we are so that they will recognize how hard we end up working for the kingdom. And really all we're doing is telling them how far we have fallen from God's place of intimacy. All we are doing is exclaiming how far we have fallen from grace. Matthew 11 and 28 says, New King James Version, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then verse 29 says that you will find rest for your souls. Our rest never comes from places, from things, or from accomplishments. We will never find rest by stressing out over our need for rest. We will never find rest by either adding or removing things. Our rest is in Christ, so we will find that rest only as we yield ourselves to his presence. Our problem is that we will come into the kingdom trained by the world. We get our self-worth out of our accomplishments. We judge our value by our, our ability to produce, usually by comparing ourselves to what others are doing. Instead of living from a place of inner peace, we approach life with a sense of competition, allowing our own thoughts to drive us harder and harder. Instead of seeking Jesus to find out what he thinks is best right now, I end up allowing my mind to race, trying to come up with solutions which might work temporarily at best. But like any other addiction, the addiction to worry is greater than I can handle on my own. Like a drug, worry has a very short-term payoff. It has a sense of accomplishment which I think I've managed or when I think I have managed to solve an issue. But like any other drug, I need another fix. That high begins to fade, and I'll start feeling that need for that another fix immediately. I have to find another problem so I can come up with another solution. I have to find another situation where I'll be able to save the day. 
Now, usually our mind will settle down during a worship service at the church when we focus on praising Jesus. We get filled up, we get psyched up, we get ready to handle everything that life throws at us. And then Monday morning shows up. Suddenly life comes back with a vengeance that nails us right between the eyes once again as we scurry to try and solve the next issue. Well, what if life didn't nail us between the eyes? What if we were able to live in that place of constant rest, a place without stress? Now, obviously, those without hope would say that this is impossible, but it's surprising the large number of Christians that also believe it is impossible. Every situation we face, God already knows the answer. We have not caught him off guard. We have not caught him unawares. He knows the answer. I had a little testimony this last week which just really spoke to me again about the need to draw away and say, God, what do you want? We were doing some work on the house and done some painting, I did some tiling, and backsplash, different things, and I had to disconnect some plugs, and I was going to change some plugs while they were disconnected. Except when I turned the power on, there's this bright flash, and all the lights went off in our house. <laughs> so I disconnected the guilty parties and came out and said that to my wife. I said, that's it. I have to call an electrician. I have no idea what just happened here. So I went and sat in the other room and, I don't know, watched TV or talked or something, and just sort of said, oh, God, it's in your hands. And, oh, I was over supper. Okay. So in about half an hour later, I said, okay, I'm going to go fix that now. Pulled out that plug, fixed exactly what needed to be put, turned the power back on, all is good. You know, God already has the answers. We just have to stop to listen and hear what the answer is. My immediate response was I had obviously gone to the end of my help, but I still had God. Now, I could have called an electrician. I don't know what that would have cost, $100 maybe. Or I could say, God, what do I do here? And it was out of the blue. It just dropped into my spirit. I wasn't even actively praying about it. It was just saying, okay, God, I'm stuck. And he had an answer. See, God is not taken off guard. He knows how all of these things work. We just have to learn to take that time out to seek him and say, okay, God, what are you saying here? You know, there's so many Christians, they don't believe that God wants that type of relationship with him. I was raised with a father that always loved me, was always happy to see me. And I believe if we recognize our father in that way, we will recognize that God is always waiting. His hands are always stretched out, and he's always saying, I'm here for you. Just come, come, don't draw away. And yet we end up messing up, but instead of running to the father, we run from him, and we can't understand why our life keeps getting messed up from one point to the next. Well, either the Bible's true or it's not. Either Jesus paid the price for us to enter that place of rest, or he didn't. See, the Bible says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it says, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Now, usually we'll take this scripture to try and deter people from getting involved with all the things that we know we shouldn't be involved in. But I don't believe that the narrow gate is just talking about getting into heaven. Among other things, I believe it is also talking about entering into God's rest. 
And narrow is the gate, and few the people that find that rest. They aren't ready to drop. They aren't ready to let go of those things that they're dragging along. And we need to let go. It is up to us individually to enter into God's rest, but instead of doing that, Many Christians will try to find peace here or there, or they'll try and find something to satisfy that need, get their peace in this or get their peace in that, and they're not doing the one thing that Mary chose to do. They're not doing the one thing that Jesus commended when he said she has chosen the good part. And that is sit at his feet, sit in his presence, and just listen to what he has to say. They're not doing it, and they cannot understand why? Why they're trying to be or to do rather than to be. Mary was secure in his love. Mary was secure in knowing that God was for her. And she sat and she listened. So when we connect with God's rest, we can maintain that rest no matter how bad things get all around us. There is nothing that can stop us from living in that place of rest when we have chosen to put God's kingdom first and to enter into that place of rest every day and then stay there. Circumstances, expectations, duties, or any other thing will never be able to take us out of the place of God's presence. When I am at peace, I will hear the call to celebrate Jesus and I will be ready to answer it. Now this Christmas will be different than what we're used to. Instead of stressing out over having the perfect gathering with the perfect turkey and all the perfect fixings, people are stressing out over not being able to do all of these things. <laughs> this year we can't cook our turkey. We can't have our family now. We can't, we can't, we can't. The attitude can become that because we can't gather and overeat, that because we can't watch someone open a gift that I overspent on, it just won't be Christmas anymore. Living in the kingdom as an heir of God, we will recognize that the important things are still with us. We may not be able to gather with our loved ones on this earth, but we can still stay in contact with them. We have telephones, we text, we message, we phone, we can do all manner of ways that we can keep in touch with the people that mean something to us. We may not be able to gather, but we can still receive from and still sow. We can still give gifts to others. If you can't give them in person with a big hug and everything, you can always drop off at the door and do contactless delivery, which is what my wife and myself are thinking we'll probably end up doing this Christmas. Instead of sitting at home Christmas morning feeling sorry for ourselves, we'll load gifts in the car and we'll drive around to see our children, our great-grandchildren, our grandchildren. See them through the window, wave at them, and leave presents on their doorstep and let them know Grandma and Grandpa still love them. Possibly, we may even make food baskets for them and drop them off. We'll have our Christmas dinner separate, but together. When we are at peace, we recognize that these circumstances cannot change what we are doing. They cannot change who we are. The circumstances cannot be allowed to take our peace. It's Christmas time, and... We are wanting to spend our time worshiping Jesus. We're wanting to celebrate the fact that he came to this earth. And if we can't stress out or we're not being able to stress out, we may actually enjoy it. <laughs> we may actually have a good time. See, we don't have to scurry and make ourselves busy with things the way Martha was busy with. But we can take the time to follow Mary and to sit at Jesus' feet. 
Now, I read a little saying last week or so, and it says, those who think that Christmas will be canceled have no idea of the true meaning of Christmas. And there is so much truth in that little statement. The true meaning of Christmas has not changed just because we can't do it the way we thought we wanted it done. We can focus on Jesus. We can be thankful that he has not changed. We can be thankful that the peace which allowed him to sleep in that storm has been given to us. When the storm is raging, when we're being told every week, every day almost, how things have changed and what we are, has been removed, we have peace because we know who's in control. God is in control. Now, one way or another, every one of us is going to get through this pandemic. So let's do it together with the peace of Christ, especially as we prepare to celebrate his soon coming return. Father, I want to thank you this morning for Jesus. I want to thank you for the peace that he brings us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, as we search for peace, we come through Jesus. I ask, Father, that those that are searching through for reassurance may find that reassurance in Christ. I ask, Father, that those that have been stressing over not being able to stress would find their peace in you that they would recognize, Father, that you have not changed, that you are there, that you are calling them to come into that quiet place alone with you. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness and for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that this Christmas season will be a time where we can reflect, we can give glory to you, and we can thank you for the unspeakable gift that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.